Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from the founder of a $100 million plus company on the power of community in driving sales to hardware startups. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, a show to learn from top leaders in product development, prototyping, manufacturing, product selling, and everything in between. Hosted by Kevin Macko, the leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Sponsored by PTC's two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo. And produced by Macko Design and Invent, the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Lloyd Lobo to the show. Lloyd is the founder of many companies, including Boast.ai, a company which has raised over $100 million in funding. He is also the author of From Grassroots to Greatness, 13 Rules to Build Iconic Brands with Community-Led Growth. Today, Lloyd is going to share some valuable knowledge for inventors, startups, and small manufacturers on what the stages of audience engagement are, why they are so powerful to help with sales for your hardware product, and the tools to execute on building your community right now. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Lloyd, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm super excited to talk to your audience. Thanks for inviting me. Well, we're excited to talk to you today about building an audience and the power of having a real community behind that audience, empowering an emerging hardware startup. Most people are focused on the product when you're building your new innovation, your new invention. You're focusing on the design, the engineering, the prototype, you're getting it to manufacturing. But then how do you sell? And selling and building communities very much can go hand in hand. And in fact, communities can be a huge proponent of growth, both to early sales and mass adoption of your invention or innovation. But before we get into breaking all that down and the power of community and how to really build your community well, give us a bit of a background. How did you get to be the big success story that you are today? Just being in an environment that constantly required me to punch above my weight class. I think necessity is the mother of all inventions, right? I, I mean, I didn't grow up to a rich family or anything. My childhood was spent in the slums of India. My, and my parents were working in Kuwait when I was born. So every summer, we couldn't afford to go anywhere else. So we'd visit India and my childhood was spent in the slums there. And so just experiencing the camaraderie of people and coming together. I mean, watching TV was communal. Eating food was communal, right? Every probably 10 homes had a TV. TV there. That house that my mom lived in was just four rawish walls with an aluminum roof. It would rain a lot. And so puddles would turn into ponds and would swim together. So that was my first experience with community. The second experience with community was one morning when I was eight or nine years old, my mom wakes me up and says, you can't go to school anymore. The Gulf War has hit. Currencies became invalid. Security had lapsed and you need to find your way to get out of there. And that was when I experienced two big things. One, the largest grassroots movement that came together to evacuate people people to safety, coordinating like building to building to building, word of mouth spreading, to communicate with embassies, to communicate with countries. This was a time the internet didn't exist, phones didn't exist, security was invalid. And so as a kid, I saw that great purpose of saving people cascade to the lowest common denominator where I felt like an eight-year-old Rambo. The other thing I experienced through that was the entrepreneurial spirit, which is not necessarily about making money, but it's about how do you take an obscure idea and drive it all the way to execution and impact while dealing with extreme risk and uncertainty. So that was the second experience. Then fast forward a few years, we immigrated to Canada, finished engineering, and I didn't want to go to nine to five job. I didn't want to get a job that just did the same thing, like either wrote code or build product. I wanted something else. I wanted to build a business. I was craving the risk. So I asked around, hey, what's the best skill I could learn if I want to be an entrepreneur someday? And everyone I talked to said, one of the key things you got to do is communicate. You got to sell, man. The best way to get good at something is to put yourself in an environment that 
requires you to do that something over and over again. So the first job I took was in sales. I applied to a lot of sales jobs that I wouldn't get. Xerox and Apple and everywhere else. They're like, oh, why would you hire an engineer to do sales? Finally, I begged my way to get a job cold calling at a startup and they were desperate. So they would pay me peanuts to do cold calling. My parents freaked out, right? They're from Indian descent and they're like, our son just finished engineering and he's making cold calls while our friend's kids are working at Microsoft and that. But fast forward today, it's the skill that served me the most because everything from finding early customers to building your community to convincing investors. And so fast forward a couple of years, I only ever ended up working alongside founders. So going from cold calling for a startup to working in sales to working in running sales. So it was just a natural progression. You become the sum of the five people around you. Actually, the way I like to phrase it is it's neither the destination nor the journey, but it's the companions that matter the most. Who you're with shapes your world. So if you're just surrounded by founders and founders and founders, one day you're going to found a company because you learn everything and it's just a natural progression. So that has been my journey. And I think three of the key learnings, which is super valuable for startup founders, early stage startup founders, hardware founders, in general, anyone looking to build something, you can get everything in life if you are good at these three things. Communication, because communication is everything. Communicate helps you connect with audiences. If you can't connect, all you have is an empty room. The second thing is creation, because you need to create, you need to provide value and that comes through creation. And the last one is consistency. And this I can't stress enough. Consistency is the secret ingredient that turns small actions into big outcomes. So many times I've seen people, they just stop at a certain point. And I've seen others that had the same traction proceed and they hit an inflection and they explode. Consistency is very underrated, but is the only thing that matters. Consistency is important every Consistency is so powerful, especially if you have the other two done well, communication and creation, then consistency is going to get you there in time. Maybe not in the beginning, but again, that's the whole purpose of consistency and the concept around it. Stick to it and eventually it will come through if you put that consistent, reliable effort. I think a lot of people mix up the concept of consistency with hard work as well. Consistency, in my opinion, is actually more important, especially in the beginning days than hard work if you have to choose. Ideally, you can do both, but most people build a hardware startup, especially as a side hobby or as a side job or as a side gig among their primary employment or primary course of work. So you won't be able to put 80 hours a week into a hardware startup in the beginning if you have a full-time job. But what you can do is consistency, a few hours each week working towards your goal. And as you start to progress more and more in terms of a success framework, then at some point you can realize that there's much more to meet the eye and eventually now put in the hours, do whatever you've got to do to potentially put that into a full-time gig when you start achieving the success that's guiding you in that path. So it's amazing that you brought up those double-edged short. Uh, before we get too deep into the concept that we're talking about today in terms of how do you create a community around your hardware product in order to drive sales and to build your brand. Before we get into that, just give us a bit of a background of your success in the business world. What have you done to achieve to where you are today? Definitely. So after I did the first cold calling job, I started applying for sales jobs in the States, in New Jersey. And I happened to get a sales job at a startup, at a supply chain hardware software company. My next job was then head of GTM at another startup. And then this company Boast ended up hitting. Over time, we grew, we grew, we grew. And in 2020, a growth equity firm acquired 52% of the company. So it was like a exit, mini exit for us while playing the long game. We also inadvertently built this community called Traction. And I can talk about all the community-led 
solid principles from that perspective. And the book, which I wrote after I left the day-to-day of the company, I said, I want to give back. I have all the free time. I don't need the money. How can I give back? I will write a book about community. And so but I started studying all the big brands like the Pelotons, the Nikes, the Harley Davidsons, smaller companies, startups, SaaS companies, rewatched all our community content over the last seven years, which was like 400 or so videos, talked to a thousand community members. And what's really, really interesting is as I talked to more and more people, I found a common link between every obscure idea that eventually became a worldwide phenomenon. From Christianity to CrossFit, went through these four stages to build iconic brands, startup brands, hardware brands by leveraging the power of community. Let's talk a bit about community and how powerful that can be, because clearly that was a big success element to the successes that you had in the business world. And of course, then since then writing the book and all sorts of stuff as well, let's dive a bit into what is it? What did you find when you studied all these examples of many of the best products in the world? And what took them from that zero to being something that basically had a brand cult following that would continue to increase and grow the sales and the capacity of those organizations? And how can we learn from that as hardware startups to apply that to our community building initiatives as we're launching our hardware products for the first time to market? Definitely. So, you know, one is people listen to you or they buy your product or service. You have an audience. That's where you start. Build an audience. The next step is you bring your audience together to interact with one another. So two-way communication and you start to form a community. Now, this community is the key element from taking an audience to a cult-like following. The next step is when your community comes together to create impact towards a greater cause that's far beyond your product or your profit, it becomes a movement. And when that movement has undone faith in its purpose through sustained rituals over time becomes a religion or a cult. And that was a very fascinating thing. Audience, community, movement, religion, or cult. We can take one very simple example. Harley Davidson. Now, Harley Davidson is a big, iconic brand. But the reason why I bring this up is because yesterday's innovation is always going to become tomorrow's commodity. The theme there was you build a community, you won't become a commodity. It becomes your mechanism for feedback when people admire you, they love you. And so taking back that example, to Harley Davidson, when the Japanese manufacturers came in, they faced bankruptcy. The management came out and said, we're going to rebuild the company on the ethos of community. Community became a company strategy, not a marketing strategy. They started rituals like the weekend warrior thing. Let's come together around the camaraderie of brotherhood of ridership. What's really interesting is it's a very rare brand where people tattoo its logo on their bodies. You can recognize a Harley fan from what they're wearing. I mean, this is the pinnacle of a cult-like brand. It's a hardware company that back then was more or less a small company that became an iconic brand with the power of community. If you look at what Apple does, release is a ritual. People stand in line. You don't get there if you just have an audience. You got to bring people together and show them love and make them successful beyond the product or service. And if you see a lot of Apple's marketing is not talking about features, but it's talking about the aspiration, the aspirations and the goals from the product. Or Nike being another great example. Nike doesn't sell shoes. It sells people on the dream of becoming better athletes. You've brought up these stories about Nike, Harley, Apple, et cetera. And it's amazing. Obviously, we all know how powerful the community became in building their brands. What can we distill from those lessons and from your research and from your book on how a hardware startup can make actionable commitments today in order to start achieving some achieving results from their new communities that they're forging? 
And I found six core values that are relevant to building a community. And I think my rule number one is called Unleash Camper. And I'll dive into what Camper is. If you have Camper in your community, in your company, as your ethos, you'll have happy campers in your company. This is These are some of the key values of every product-led company. And so C stands for connection. What that means is they help people feel connected and empower them to support one another. By incorporating connection in your values, you're saying you want to forge genuine bonds. So with a Peloton, for example, even like sweating and working out together virtually leads to a sense of camaraderie. The second one is autonomy. You're granting freedom and independence. So when people have the space to make their own decisions, they take ownership and drive innovation. A great example of when you give individuals the ability or the resources to hone skills and expand knowledge, they do great things. The fourth one is purpose. When people feel they're making a difference, they find fulfillment in their work. A shared purpose that's larger than your product or your profit fuels motivation and provides meaning. Patagonia, again, like a physical product, it actively promotes environmental stewardship by encouraging employees to volunteer for sustainable initiatives. But it also donates a percentage of its sales for nature preservation. The fifth one is energy, creating this environment of enthusiasm and passion. When your culture is full of lively energy, people are inspired and it jazzes them up. Community is all about energizing people because you not only get your employees working on it, you get volunteers, you get your customers, everyone rallies. And if you cannot energize them, you kill the staying power. Red Bull is a perfect example, right? Hosting events and festivals, their drinks are full of energy, their events are full of energy. Energy is a key value you need to have if you want to build a long-term sustaining community. And the last one is recognition, proactively recognizing people. When people show up for your brand, you need to find ways to thank them, whether it's swag or, or a little discount. Just remembering their name and being in touch with them is key. Having a set of values that are community oriented, because if it's like, oh, I want to build a community, should I start a Facebook group and when can I profit? Then you know what? Just do direct response ads and direct response sales. You won't be able to build a long-term sustainable community. That's amazing. This camper method, that's very powerful and very actionable as well. So let's distill that down since we're almost out of time here to the final stage. What are some of the actual tools that somebody can use to build these communities around this camper methodology? So the first thing is assuming you're building a physical product, you know who you're building it for. I can't say this enough, right? A lot of tools is not technology, it's framework. So the first framework is who is your ideal customer profile? Where do they eat, breathe, drink, sleep? What are their pains? What are their goals? But what are their aspirations and what stands in their way? It's very important to understand your ideal customer profile from a positioning standpoint. Now that you understand your ideal customer profile, go and spend time with them, hang out with them, understand them. Like at the early days of Bose, we went and hung out with startup founders to figure out if that's our community. We resonated. We started participating in hackathons. So we really understood their pains. We started writing down all the problems, all the goals, all the aspirations. Once we had that, then we drew out the circle of influence. Circle of influence meaning now you have this ideal customer profile who's the founder of the company. Who do they follow? Who are the influencers in the space? Who do they fund? Meaning what other tools they pay for? What other services they pay for? Ancillary to my offering. What do they frequent? Meaning what platforms they're prevalent on? Is it TikTok or is it LinkedIn? And what magazines and blogs they read? When you make lists of these, you now have the ideal customer profile and you have the circle of influence. So what that does for you is if you decide on an audience building strategy, let's say it's a meetup or it's a podcast or it's a YouTube series, you know exactly which guests to invite that'll drive social proof for your obscure brand. In the early days when no one knows you, that social proof is everything. You know which magazines to reach out, you know which platforms to promote on. If you know what other service providers they're paying that are ancillary, they could be partners with you, co-promotion, sponsorship, etc. So it's drawing that. The third thing is 
is figuring out what kind of community you want to build. There's three kinds of communities you can build. One is a community of practice, which is learning about a specific field to get better at it, right? Better digital marketers, better hardware developers, those kinds of things. The next one is community of product, becoming an evangelist for the product like Apple or Nike or Peloton. And the third one is a community of play, which is bringing people together to have a good time, like Harley Davidson or Red Bull, their communities of play. And so you got to decide what kind of community you build. My framework for figuring out in the early days what kind of community to build is understanding if I have product market fit or not. If people are not buying my product, I have no users, and I try to build a community of product around my product, people might not be as interested. They'll feel like they're being sold to. So if you're a hardware product, explore, is your hardware product a mechanism that enables learning? Then build a community of practice where you can leverage it to teach. Or is does your hardware product bring joy around a specific field? Then build a community of play. Like maybe it's a fitness tracker and you build a niche fitness community. So you're teaching something or can serve as a piece of education. The next step is now audience building, right? There's this path of audience, community, movement, religion. We'll stop at community in the interest of time. But now how do you build an audience? All these platforms that you build audiences on, you don't really own that audience. Meaning if the platform changes the algo, your mind share with your audience will die. Facebook, how it started. First, it would show your content to all your followers. Now, when you post on Facebook, you'll see less and less of your followers are seeing your content because they are showing your followers the content of sponsors and other people because that's how they make money. And so Nas Daily, one of the top YouTube channels, had a stat that said their Facebook group of 21 million followers is virtually dead because their content went from being shown to 50% of their followers to 5% and their revenue went from 100 to near zero, 100,000 a month to near zero. It's an important thing to think is, yes, I'm building an audience that's great, but how can I immediately start collecting that audience's email addresses and phone numbers so I can maintain a direct connection with them? If you don't maintain a direct connection with them, you don't own that audience. Start establishing, how do I collect this? One way to collect it is you have valuable content. Package it up or turn it into a course or turn it into an online meetup and get people to subscribe. Write a newsletter. Newsletters are blowing up. Start a Kickstarter campaign. Create things which forces you to interact with them. Once you do that, now you can do cool things. Like you can do drops, you can do swags. But even beyond that, I love hosting events. And that builds stronger connections. Now you don't have to wait to host a multi-thousand Red Bull festival or like we do a thousand person traction conference. You can just host meetups in different cities. The thing is, if you do that on Cadence, the affinity spreads. People come together around your brand. That's what the Apples and the Harleys and the Teslas did in the early days. Just because they have thousands upon thousands of people engaging today, don't get deterred because they started with 5.10.2. What made it stick was they were providing value consistently over time. And compound interest on consistency is what we call overnight success. Ah, I like that statement. Good way to wrap it up. Uh, before I let you go, just give a quick highlight about the name of your book and where people can buy it. And then we'll say goodbye. Definitely. So my book is called From Grassroots to Greatness, 13 Rules to Build Iconic Brands with Community-Led Growth. I put the digital for 99 cents, so you can buy it on FromGrassrootsToGreatness.com or on Amazon. If you go to FromGrassrootsToGreatness.com on September 12th, when the book releases, you'll also get access to a Notion doc with all the templates for each chapter, which you can implement. I wrote the book in stories so I could digest it. And then I didn't want the book to be academic, but we have all the templates in Notion so you can follow it as a step-by-step guide to build building a community and get some inspiration and frameworks from the book. 99 cents online, so it's accessible to everyone. And then if you want the physical book, it's like a collectible. You can well design full color and you can buy it. Thank you so much, Kevin. This was great. Very nice. Lloyd, appreciate all your words of wisdom. Uh, look forward to reading the book and we'll talk again soon. Take care then.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. If you found some value in the show, please do us a huge favor and leave us a quick five-star review. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us anytime at our email, podcast at macodesign.com. That's podcast at macodesign.com. This show is hosted by Kevin Macko, North America's leading expert on product development for physical product startups. Huge thanks to our sponsors, PTC, and their two best-in-class 3D CAD product development software solutions, Onshape and Creo, and Macko design and invent the original firm providing world-class consumer product development services tailored specifically to startups small manufacturers and inventors thanks for joining and see you next time